the other one I don't own. Where can I give you my email? All right, we're live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first afternoon Dhamma session. I don't know when the last time I broadcasted live in the afternoon was. I must have done it before. I think a long time ago we were doing a 9 p.m. Eastern time, which was very bad for, very challenging for European people. And we switched to 8. I don't know if I have ever done 3 p.m. So now we're broadcasting at 13, no, 1500, just before 1500 hours, which is a European way of saying 3 p.m. And it's for European people. Um... I mean, the stream is for everyone, of course, and hopefully we'll still get Western people. Hopefully they're not all having a siesta at 3 p.m. But now we, have the we give the opportunity for the rest of the world to join as Hello. well. And maybe you can hear, Edit is here with me. I see Mila has joined the channel. So we're experimenting with group broadcasting. Oh no, are we all, why are we all muted? Who muted us? Did someone mute me? So the way this session goes is we try to be meditative about it. Buddhism isn't an intellectual religion. It isn't meant to be based on intellect. And so any study we do, any questions you may have, should be practical. should be questions that you need an answer to in order to progress on your path towards peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Not just because you're curious or you want to listen to me talk. You want to hear what I have to say because you think the answer will be intellectually stimulating and so on. No. And so we take as a premise or as a foundation, as a starting point, uh, a meditative state. So if you don't have a question, close your eyes. No chatting in the chat channel. If you have something to say, you can say it. We're not going to be mean or cruel about it. Say what you... You're welcome to talk, but don't chat. Instead of chatting, close your eyes. Take up a meditative attitude, perspective. Start to see things as experiences instead of experiences as things. And if and when you do have a question, open your eyes, unless you can type 
with your eyes closed. Type it out mindfully. If you preface it with yutada at, yutada mubiku, it's easier for me to see which are questions, but you don't have to. And then close your eyes again once you've submitted the question. Because you don't have to wait for me to reply. I'm not going to type out my reply. I'll say it out and we'll have someone read. Oh, we got a whole channel full of people. There's five of us in here. Hello. Chris Edit. Han Hans. Is that Hans? I think is his name. And Mila. Sophie, everyone. Soti. So if they have questions, they get uh, to ask them anytime in with voice. Or if they want to comment on someone's question or comment on my answer or ask a follow-up question, they can do that as well. And um, I'll need someone to read. Does someone like to read the questions? I have to read them as I post them. The other thing is if you're in the Discord channel, you probably want to mute the video. Mute the video and then just use the Discord channel for to hear me talk. That way there's less latency, I think. And then perhaps we all can read those and have read the questions. All right. Take turns, though. No? Not all at once. Take turns. Uh, first, I have a question here from someone who wants to know why we turned off comments. So our our video, my videos, our videos have comments disabled. Um, this came about through a discussion. Someone suggested it, and I thought it was a good idea, so we did it. I think in all ways, um, one's interaction with the internet has to be moderated and regulated. I think unregulated interaction with the internet is a bad idea. Just like unregulated interaction with society as a whole is not usually the best course of action. It ends up being inefficient. You know, too much interaction uh, means more effort than it's worth. You put more in than you get out, and I think that's really a simple way of explaining why we've turned off. Why I think turning off comments was a good idea because it it extended our interaction with the internet beyond what I'm comfortable with. I mean, the the broadcasts and any video that we produce is meant to be a a gift meant to be something to benefit the world that the people who listen should somehow benefit from it if they're not benefiting it from it well that that's a shame and i guess they can they should downvote that video that's a means of expressing their discontent but making it a platform for other people to post their opinions and often those opinions are uh, well they can be rude they can be spam 
They can be just disagreeing and then posting an alternative interpretation from another religion or religious tradition. They can be links to other people's videos. They can be... You get where I'm coming from. There's a lot of different um, interactions, many of which we end up would end up just deleting. Of course, there's a lot of good comments, people saying how much they appreciate the videos. And I think the majority are that, are, are expression of appreciation but again that's not um that, that that goes beyond what the intent was the intent is not to engage with the internet um, the intent is to put something out there give it and we're not really interested in the feedback not in that way if people have a problem with our video they're welcome to contact the organization if there is a problem we will absolutely take it down I will absolutely remove any video if the video is problematic, if there's something wrong with it. We don't need to open it up to discussion. Um, let us know, and I think we're pretty open-minded about these. I'm hopefully fairly open-minded about these things. So I don't think it's a matter of being so sensitive. <laughs> um, yeah. How to ask questions? Okay, I think I, hopefully I've answered that. You just ask, post them here in the chat just as you ask that question. So you got my answer to that. And hopefully get an answer if you post a Dhamma question. All right, let's get right into it. Hey, we got lots of people. This is great. Wasn't sure. I thought mm, maybe we'll do it in the afternoon and nobody will show up. 63 people watching already. That's great. It lets us know how many people are watching, so... We can know whether we're talking to people or just talking to ourselves. All right. Let's get right to it. Who wants to ask the first question? Go in alphabetical order, maybe. I don't hear Chris. I don't hear but Chris I, either. I see his thing is turning green, which means we should hear him. I read the first question then. All right. Well, Chris gets himself settled. Just to clarify, is it ever appropriate to, let's say, you're seeing or hearing some someone in your mind? As you are thinking to note seeing rather than thinking, or do we always note thinking? What do you think, Edit? Uh, it's, I mean, seeing, hearing, it's very different from thinking. Mm -hmm. Just the object. Or judgment mm -hmm. is thinking. Yeah, but I think the 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 I think the the point is this person actually sees things in their mind or hears someone in their mind. Like often um, people talk about hearing songs in their mind. I think it's appropriate to say seeing, seeing or hearing, hearing. The experience of seeing or hearing, whether it be in the mind or or external. 
is still an experience of seeing or hearing. It's not exactly the same, right? Because there's no physical aspect. And it kind of points to the fact that the words themselves are not extremely important. I mean, it's not... It's just to point your mind in the right direction and to give your mind a, a clue as to the right way to interact with this. When you say to yourself, seeing, seeing, or for the thinking aspect, when you say thinking, thinking, you're, you're giving your mind a clue that the right way to respond is is objective, is to remind yourself, or the right way to react is to see it just as it is. Right, so as opposed to, oh, this is nice, or this is scary, or this is good, or this is bad. I've changed the latency settings. Uh, so it, there's a little bit of latency. It's only about five seconds, I think. But that means we can post closed captions. I think YouTube is actually scanning our voice and posting what it thinks we're saying. And that's for people who maybe are hard, are hearing impaired or whatever the word is. But I don't know if they actually have access or how we make access to the closed captions. So if someone knows and can verify that there are closed captions, that'd be great. Because you never know when there's someone who has a hearing disability. You might uh, appreciate that. I turned on the setting, Bunte, and I don't see them. Hmm. Well, it says there's a captions ingestion URL. So I don't know if we have to post that link somewhere. That's kind of weird. Oh, well, maybe we someone can maybe someone could investigate that for us. Let us know what we have to do. You can also um, you can also embed them, but then it says they'll disappear after the stream ends, which I don't know if that's a problem. Maybe that's not a problem. All right, next question. I'll ask this one since my mic is working. The question mm. is: Should noting continue all day? it's not about it continuing all day per se. Yes, I think the answer is yes, but think of it more as whenever you remember, whenever you think of it, whenever you have the capacity or the presence of mind to apply it. Because it's going to work more like that, that rather than saying, okay, from now until the end of the day, I'm going to be mindful, right? It'll be more hit and miss. It's too bad one of you guys couldn't post the questions. Maybe we'll have to figure out some way to have somebody else broadcast and they could post the questions. Although I'm kind of picking and choosing, right? That's fine. I'll do the work. I don't mind. Our other two participants participating or 
All right, go ahead, Mila. My girlfriend, my girlfriend left me after three years for somebody else. How do I deal with the feelings I have? So this, I think, falls in the category of questions that can be answered with, have you read my booklet? And try and consider practicing meditation according to our technique. Uh, but there's also something to do with the idea of extreme conditions, right? Sometimes it's so extreme that you just feel like you can't meditate. I did a video on that, at least one, on how to deal with more extreme ones. There are some things you can do, like um, I mean, this would be a feeling of sadness, a feeling of longing, and so on. Honestly, I think the best for that would be mindfulness. I don't think there's much else that you should be doing. So try reading the booklet and see what you think. You guys can feel free to jump in with comments or questions if you have. I'll just read this next one, I think. Is labeling mental qualities more important than labeling anything else? Since Buddha asked to see mental qualities in Bosati and Dhammavijaya, I don't quite understand this. Since Buddha asked to see mental qualities in both sati and dhammavijaya, I don't, I don't get what you're. I don't know what teaching of the dhamma that relates to. Does anyone else understand what is being asked here or said here? Well, my understanding of sati is it's to do with uh, remembrance, and mm -hmm. dhammavijaya is analysis of qualities, right? Analysis mm -hmm. of nature of things so mental qualities are involved in every moment of contact with the mind so mm -hmm. these would be included right yeah but i just don't get what that second what that because i don't that doesn't that doesn't ring a bell with anything the buddha taught i don't quite get what this person is trying to put it into the buddha's mouth this is written in such a form that it suggests sati is opposed to dhammavicaya. And I'm not sure that that's sensible. Hmm. So I think maybe I have to clarify. I'm sorry, probably English isn't your first language. Um, but the first part, I mean, yeah, really everything. I think Chris is on the right track there. I agree that it's everything is included. So whatever. So I, I guess the answer ultimately, no matter what the second part means, is that it is no, nothing is more important than labeling anything else. Um, labeling everything is important. Labeling what is in the present moment and what is um, most conspicuous or most most readily apparent. 
clear, most clear in your mind. That's what you should note. All right, I'm not going to answer questions about when coronavirus will end. So be clear, yes, I will answer your questions, but no, I will not answer all questions. Hmm. And please no cross-answering and so on, it just, it just clouds everything up. Just ask, ask your question, close your eyes, back to meditating. All right. Next question. Toti Bante, how to deal with seeing people as as entities and non-entities as a beginner meditator? As entities and non-entities. So meditation doesn't deal with people. It shouldn't, that it won't be in your field of experience, your field of perception. Language is difficult at this point. We don't talk like this so much in English, but meditation really puts you in a different perspective, a different way of looking at things. So the field of entities and beings and people isn't the same as the field of perspective or field of perception of a meditator. Um, in the frame of view or the, the frame of mind of a meditator, there are only experiences. And so really that's the shift that we're trying to make and that may be what you're asking. The idea here is to make a shift so that rather than seeing people, you're seeing experiences. Or seeing isn't the right word, but rather than than perceiving people, your perceptions are of experiences. And that takes practice. That's a big part of what the practice is, and that's a big part of what the noting is meant to help you with. The idea is as you are mindful of things as they arise and cease, you start to see that the things that exist are not actually things, they're experiences, and they're momentary. It's a big part of the first step towards insight meditation, to see that there's only the physical and mental aspects of experience, there's no entities, no beings, it's a shift that has to occur. So I guess uh, ultimately, if it helps to say, I would say, read the booklet on how to meditate. All right, I'm putting someone in a timeout because they're answering and talking. Is that bad karma to do that? Probably it is. Trying to control, huh? Again, connection with the internet, you sometimes have to, I think you sometimes have to be judicious.
Questions like, I just wonder, we're not... There's many Dhamma questions that are not going to be answered. Because, again, it's intellectual. So, again, the question should be, hey, this question is something that I practically need an answer for in order to help me on my path. That's what we're looking for. It can be intellectual. I think here's one that's related. I don't think I'm going to answer it. All right. Here's one. Repetitive, intrusive thoughts. You missed, we missed the beginning of what you said there. Had some technical difficulties. I think on Discord you have to adjust your sensitivity so that it doesn't it doesn't cut off what you say. Or else switch to push to talk, that's the best way, because then you know exactly when it starts sending your voice. How can I deal with repetitive, intrusive thoughts? So why I put this question, I mean, clearly it's something that the idea is through practice of meditation it will help, but repetitive, intrusive thoughts is interesting because it's starting to teach us that, first of all, things are unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. You, you think they come. You don't know when they're going to come. You don't know when they're going to go. Second, that they're un, unmanageable, unpleasant in the sense that they don't do what you want. You want them to go away, they don't go away. You want them to stay away, they don't stay away. And uncontrollable. You can't change them. Seeing them as repetitive is to start to see the three characteristics. Seeing them as intrusive is sort of the opposite of that. Um, or it's something that is, is getting in the way of seeing the three characteristics. Um, but it's the it's sort of the conflict that you start to have with yourself, of trying to remove certain thoughts, trying to be in charge of what thoughts come. And starting to see that you can't do that, and so it creates this feeling of, ag of uh, aversion, disliking of what's going on because it's not the way you want it to be. So try not to see them as intrusive. That's just a judgment. So thoughts are not intrusive. Intrusive is the idea, well, maybe you want to not think, maybe you'd rather have a calm and peaceful state of mind. That's a judgment and a reaction. But what these are showing you is that you can't control and you can't predict and you can't manage. You can't cling to your state of mind. You have to learn to be flexible. And so the path forward is to acknowledge the nature of reality, that it's not under your control. So it's not about not thinking, it's not about getting rid of thoughts. There's no need to deal with the thoughts. What you have to deal with 
is your reactions to them. Because like any other experience, they're impermanent, suffering, non-self. They're not under your control. And clinging to them isn't going to make you happy. Because they're impermanent and unpredictable. Someone from England. It looks like we have people from Europe here. That's great. Dante, did you see the question about the Mahasi Sayada? Yeah, I thought it was a good one. I just didn't think it was really much of a question. Someone asking about the book because they like it. I mean, I like Mahasi Sayada for sure. I could just say yes. It's a good book. I didn't want to sort of get sidetracked by it, though. Okay. Here's someone, maybe you guys can help us answer because you guys are all Theravada Buddhists. Let's get a group conversation going. Someone ask the question. I think maybe we'll switch back to the low latency. We got too much latency here. Brother Lewis joined. Do you want to ask this one? Go ahead, Chris. If not, I'll do it. The question asks, Bhante, as a Theravada Buddhist, other Theravada Buddhists are hundreds of miles away. How could I get some community feeling other than forums that are often only places of idle chatter? What do you think, Chris? I am familiar with an organization of Theravada Buddhist meditators called Suramangalo International. Uh, you may have heard of them as well. We're not a very chatty bunch. Uh, we focus on meditation. You can join our Discord channel. It's probably linked in one of these videos. There's a good community feeling with other people who aren't too chatty. Something about the practice makes a person less inclined to idle conversation. But it's so good to surround yourself with other people who are studying, practicing, and trying to develop in this Dhamma. Yeah, I guess it's a, from our perspective, it's a simple answer because that's what we've tried. That's the question we've tried to answer as a community. So you, you want our answer? We've put together this online community. It might not be what you're seeking, but might not be it isn't perfect but we do have an in a work in progress answer to that question in our community i think in addition to that uh, something i've read when i'm reading uh and in the suttas there's a lot of encouragement that if a person can't find a suitable community filled with noble people, going alone isn't such a bad thing. 
Yeah, sometimes our need for community is is misleading. How does chanting affect meditation? We had this question sort of come up this morning because I mentioned monks chanting in the study group. I think it's positive. I think chanting has a positive benefit. If you want the classic simile, it's that uh, chanting and, and such are like rubbing medicine, or medicine that ointments that don't actually heal you, but they make you feel better, salves, that sort of thing. And meditation is like ingested meditation, pills and so on, that ostensibly are meant to heal you because they're internal, you see. So there's an external, there's a there's a benefit to chanting that it um, helps support your practice by making you feel better, but not just feel better, but put you in a better mood to meditate because the qualities of mind, the positive qualities of mind that come from things like chanting, which basically involves remembering the teachings of the Buddha, that's the whole, that's the best benefit of it from my perspective. But uh, what if um, you don't understand the words exactly? I think it's less beneficial. I think it becomes more of a physical sort of feel-good activity, and then it can be problematic if you're if you're focused on the physical feelings and meditative state of the chanting. It's not as beneficial. It's a good point. So for most people, it's not all that beneficial. That's a good point. I mean, a lot of Buddhists will just chant the basics and uh, like itipiso, bhagavara, hang samma, sambuddho and they tend to pick up what those things mean. So, Yeah, for me, uh, I started to learn uh, some chanting but uh, as soon as I didn't understand some words then mm-hmm. it was just like singing or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. You feel the difference, huh? Yeah, I mean, the real thing is it reminds you, it triggers memories in the mind that give you confidence and encouragement and straighten out your views and so on. Thank you, Bhante. Can ego have a positive role in life? I don't think so. I guess, practically speaking, in a worldly sense, yes. But that those benefits are not of concern or interest in Buddhism. Like, for example, in getting ahead in the world, right? Would it help you become a, a more successful business person? Yes. So is that a positive role? Not from a Buddhist perspective. In fact, it's generally negative because of the attachment involved. But uh, what is mm. an ego in um, in the sense of reality? Ego is any expression of self, 
or expression of the view or the conceit of self. So Anything that comes about. from that. Yeah, yeah, that's all that's all we use that word for in English. I mean we use the word in, to to sort of generally refer to what Buddhism we'd call both the ditti and the mana, the, the conceit and the view, and perhaps also even craving like uh, attachment to things as mine. Ditti mana tanha, those three. Ditti is the view. There is a self. This is the self. This I am. I am this. Conceit is. Um, I'm better, I'm worse, I'm like this. So, okay, view is really, um, this is myself. Conceit is myself is this, that, or the other thing. And tanha is, the, the craving is, this is mine. Those three are, are ego. None of them are of any benefit. They're all to our detriment. And it goes a little deeper than that. It's not even so much about me, me, me. It's about the existence of things, getting back to this idea of the existence of things, entities in the first place. So a ball of yarn also isn't a ball of yarn. It's not just that I am not a self. It's that the ball of yarn is just a concept in the mind. The reality is the experience that leads to think that there is a ball of yarn in front of you. But the experience is the basis of that. So rather, so it, the the reason why ego can't exist for a, someone who's mindfulness is because they aren't able to see in that framework, that frame of mind of there being things, entities. God can't exist. Self can't exist. It's just not a part of that way of looking at things. I don't get this next question, and I think I'm just going to skip it. Okay. No, I think I'm going to skip questions where how do I do this? How do I do that? When the answer is just so so if you're really interested in how to manage your mind and remove problematic thoughts, just these general questions about how do I be happier, be more at peace. Our recommendation, my recommendation is we I wrote a booklet based on the teachings that I received. It's just mainly just translating and passing on what I learned it's not from me but um, recommend reading that if you're really interested the best way to start that we have to offer is the at-home meditation course at the moment and so you can sign up on our website for an at-home meditation course and we'll go through many different exercises and almost a, almost a complete foundation course in meditation which should help with a lot of these questions people have. Here's a question we get a lot. I think the fact that we get it a lot is worth addressing as well. Go ahead, who's next?
I thought it was Mila. Maybe I'm. No, oh, you all have to keep track of this. I'm not keeping track. You are, Chris. Oh, that explains it. Uh, the question goes, how do I know I am progressing in my practice? Sometimes I doubt that this is the right way, simply seeing as it is. Right. So I think simply we can answer this question. How do you know you're progressing? You know you're progressing as greed, anger, and delusion diminish. I think for a lot of people, especially those practicing without intensive practice or without real guidance from a teacher one-on-one, -on -one, it's harder to progress. And so it's therefore harder to see whether you're actually uh, practicing properly, right? Because the results are going to be much slower and much more subtle than if you were to do intensive practice or guided with a teacher. So I guess I would recommend to do our at-home course if you're interested in our tradition. That might help you feel more confident. But on the other hand, focusing on results is never the best idea uh, from my in my in my mind. Um, and so, in order to clear up the doubt as to whether simply seeing as it is is the right way, focus more on the quality of mind. You know, the doubt will come because it doesn't seem to ostensibly be doing anything in the, in the same way that we expect things in the way that we expect things to do things for us we expect results you expect something to happen that's not what this is about this is about learning and understanding if you saw things as they were you would never do anything that caused you suffering that's the whole premise of mindfulness practice of buddhist practice is that understanding the truth will set you free you don't have to change you don't have to progress really the progress is seeing more clearly and why is that considered progress because once you see things as they are that perspective that way of looking at things uh, forbids or, or uh, prevents any potential for judgment or reaction or, or stress or suffering seeing things as they are is in place it's incompatible with reaction right so it's not that there's some ego or some self that sees things as they are and then decides whether or not to react to them it's that that moment when you see things as they are is in lieu of or in replacement of any kind of judgment you might have had instead you see you can't have both you either see the thing as it is or you see it as worth clinging to worth reacting to worth judging so focus on that quality or the quality of mind that is seeing things as they are and try to understand or try to 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 experience how pure that state is and how free from reaction that state is without reference to what results that might have for your life because intellectually you should be able to if you're honest think to uh, think to yourself that that the the pure quality will create a pure habit a pure stream of consciousness and that the 
reactions that it's replacing were the cause of habits of reactivity, right? When, when you react to things, that becomes your mode, your method of reacting. That's one of the things you see in meditation is how your habits are causing you suffering, that you have these habits in the first place. And so intellectually you can understand that it's whatever you incline your mind towards, that becomes your habit. And then when you see how pure the state of mind is, you get a sense that I don't have to experience, I don't have to have proof. I don't need to see the results to know that this is a good thing, right? That might seem counterintuitive. You might say, well, I'm not going to just believe it on blind faith. It sounds like blind faith, but it absolutely isn't. You have, in some sense, faith that good things lead to good results, which isn't faith at all. You, you, that is something that I think we're not generally and in intellectually conscious of or, or in tune with. Right? For some people, there's just a sense that they don't really know why things happen. Maybe it's random. But what you start to see in meditation is that it's not random at all, that our inclinations of mind determine our habits of mind, determine our personalities, what we come to call personalities. And that simply by experiencing this clear and pure state of mind, you're going to be creating positive habits. So that rather than sitting around waiting for the results, you, you are conscious, consciously, actively working towards results. And if you're constantly focused on that, on the work, you have no reason to doubt. It's like if you uh, work in in a factory or something. You don't have to stop and check how many units of something you've made. You just keep doing the work and you know the units are being made. You know that your results are coming. Any work that you do, you don't ever have to stop and check. Did I do work yet? Was there some output? You do the work and something happens. And the thing that happens is always going to be related to the work that's done, right? That's the key point there. But if you really want a more clear uh, confidence, I'd recommend more intensive practice, preferably with a teacher. Would you consider pro progressing um, in the practice when someone starts to see suffering constantly in this and that, and then um, they may doubt that this is the right way to that? So again, I, I don't think it matters what you actually experience. You shouldn't ever sort of judge it's just so much more complicated. Suppose someone does what I just explained, you know, has this pure pure thought and or this pure state of mind, this clarity of mind, and then something really bad happens. Like maybe suddenly they get really angry at someone. They might think, was well, that the result of a clear state of mind, anger? But just simply because they have no clue. And so you, you can't relate it like that. We're, we're, we're far more complicated than that. Uh, absolutely, meditation could seemingly trigger something bad to happen, simply because our mind is so complicated. 
and in the beginning you might be it's like you have a, a festering sore or like I suppose a wild animal and you try to you try to clean its wound it might bite you <laughs> the mind can do all sorts of things in reaction just by by impulse meditation can bring that about just like touching a wounded animal so rather than sort of naively or or um disingenuously claiming that something bad is a result of being mindful you have to be much you have to be more thoughtful than that and have a sense that whatever mindfulness is doing it's not there there's no way it could possibly be causing problems because of its nature that's what you have to really come to see i, just, I don't think that's clear in the beginning but it's something that has to come clear because people say that, you know, if I say to myself, angry, angry, isn't that feeding the anger? If I say pain, pain, isn't that making the anger, the pain worse? I mean, how could it be? That's not, is that really what give, which causes anger? Right? We say it because we're not clear about how cause and effect works. We have some sense that if you avoid things, or, you, know, you know, if you focus too much on things, bad things happen, you know, they, they get worse. And that's because every time we've done that, they did get worse. And they did get worse generally because we fed them. Mindfulness doesn't feed them. It's a way of interacting with our problems in a way that doesn't uh, react to them. And so as far as seeing suffering, that seeing everything as suffering, that could have a lot to do with a person's innate um, perspective or inclination I mean it also is to some extent a result of wisdom to see that nothing is going to satisfy you and so that clinging to anything is not worth it but it's not to say that that's always going to be a person's perspective it can often just be because a person maybe they're pessimistic by nature and so meditation is going to just show them their pessimism show them their inclination to see everything as, as unpleasant of course, the, the doubting is also an inclination. It's also a habit. And so mindfulness works above this. It's really a meta practice in the sense of being outside the, the cycle of our habits. So when you're doubting, you should just say to yourself, doubting, doubting, try and see it clearly. And you'll start to straighten out your mind in this regard. Really, there's nothing worse about seeing everything as suffering than there is about seeing everything as happiness. It's just how you react and how you respond as to whether as to whether you you, you suffer or you're happy. You know, if you want to be happy, happiness comes from not reacting, not judging, not stressing out. The view that anger, lust, and delusion should be uprooted an attachment. Can it stop me from developing mindfulness? So views are not attachments, but you can be attached to views. I don't think that's a bad view to be attached to, because absolutely anger, lust, and delusion are all bad things that should be uprooted. Now, if you're obsessed with that, and you just sit around thinking that all the time, and worrying about the fact that they're not uprooted or 
trying to force them to be uprooted, like you took an axe to them or something, or a shovel and dug them up, that might get in the way. But I find it hard to see that that view could ever be problematic, since all three of those things are obviously and objectively bad things. Some people think anger is not a bad thing and it can be useful, but Buddhists disagree. So I don't see how it could stop you from developing mindfulness unless someone else wants to say something. There is a right view, and in this case, this is mm. the right view. Well said. Well, this isn't a question. It's kind of a question. Bante, lust comes back again and again. Um, I feel demotivated after the excitement ends. So lust isn't the first thing that one tries to do away with in the practice. One tries to do away with wrong views, doubt, and misunderstanding about what is the right practice and wrong practice. Try and get yourself established in the path first. Lust is something that could take a long time to overcome. Try and look at your guilt and feelings of uh, shame when you engage in them so that they don't... You know, that, that can be an obsession in itself where you expect too much from yourself. And try and focus first and foremost on, on understanding what is true, what is right, and what is the nature of reality. Uh, and once you do that, you get yourself on the right path, and then it's just a matter of systematically cutting away at things like lust and anger. Put your motivation in a different spot. Don't try to attack lust, not at, not at the start. I mean, of course, be mindful of it, just like everything else, but don't be too discouraged by it. Should you refute? Mm, I lost you there. Should you refute Should negative refute thoughts? Negative hmm. You should be mindful of thoughts, whether they're negative or positive. I'm not going to say anything about refuting them. I think, um, well, I will say something. So I, I think... Um, I forgot what I was going to say. I won't say anything then. Enough. When walking meditation, hmm, do you say seeing as you have to look where you you're going no you don't have to say seeing if you see something you can say seeing seeing but your mind shouldn't be with your eyes you should stop walking and then say seeing seeing then focus on the eyes if something distracts you but uh, in walking you can be a little less um 
meticulous about your noting. Try and just focus, bring your mind back to the foot. If something distracts you, stop walking, focus on that. But if things don't really strongly distract you, you can just ignore them, bring the mind back to the foot. Because there's much more going on than in sitting meditation. Is it possible to love without attachment, desire, or clinging? I used to think yes, and I think a lot of Buddhists say yes. I I honestly tend to think no. I don't think love is the right word. Friendliness, kindness, even compassion, these are all good words. Love, I'm not so convinced. I mean, love is such a loaded word what does it even mean right it means so many different things but to me anything that it tends to mean in english doesn't encompass what we mean by like metta which just means friendliness if you wish someone to be happy does it mean you love them no maybe maybe depending how you look at it i don't think a buddhist thing has that sense of love or an arahant let's say has that sense of love towards beings they have a sense of friendliness. I think it sums it up much better. An arahant is kind and friendly. But love is too loaded in my mind. What do you guys think? I think about the illimitable qualities. Uh, compassion, goodwill, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And when people talk mm -hmm. about love, they're typically talking about qualities like this as well as a bunch of unwholesome ones usually directed at a person or an experience hmm. so some of love some parts of what they mean are good that's what i've always said in the past as well some parts of what we, what we mean i mean i used to say love is the good part but i'm not so sure anymore i don't think so i don't i mean, I mean it's just a matter of what the word means which is so unclear but my sense is that the way we use it is a bit of a misunderstanding when we say loving kindness for example I think kindness is good enough without the loving part. See what I mean? Yeah, the simple recognition that there are other beings and that they suffer, that goes mm -hmm. a long way. I'm using a metronome app a lot to facilitate noting between sense doors or to alternate focusing in and then expanding the attention to the whole sense sphere. Potential drawbacks? Like you're actually using a metronome? I don't know. I, I'm trying to visualize what that means. Like tick, 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 tick. Doesn't sound like a good idea. Using apps, using any kind of um, external aid uh, at best is a crutch. To, here it seems a bit misguided, but even if it is useful, it's still a crutch, and I wouldn't recommend doing that. I don't know. Moving on.
Sometimes I'm scared that the practice will not produce any beneficial result. I know to note the doubt, but what if I'm right? When does one decide it's not worth it? Well, that sounds like there's fear as well as doubt. So you should note afraid, afraid. I mean, again, it gets back to this idea of looking for beneficial results. Such a common question, and it shows that really what it shows, and keep this very much in mind, we have a default way of looking at things in terms of bringing beneficial results, uh, outcomes, right? We're looking to the future, and we're looking to the past you know, for having, what did I get from that, that kind of thing. The Buddha said to look at things in terms of were they right and were they wrong. Was that the right thing I did? Is that the right thing I'm doing? They get much further that way rather than worrying about what the result is. Here's one that's, I think it's okay to ask. I want to read the Buddhist texts. Are they available in English? So the best ones that I find are, unfortunately, um, pay only. You have to buy them from wisdom, wisdom publications. But I think they're worth it if, you, if money isn't an object. If it is, you can get free versions illegally. We, I'm not going to say it. Um, you can also get free versions online that are okay. Uh, some of them are, uh, are, some of them are better than others. I, I, I think they're all good. It's just some of them seem a little bit hard to read, and I would recommend the ones from Wisdom Publications. Not that I want to encourage capitalism or or selling the Dhamma or that sort of thing, but um, the person, the monk who who translated them. It was a monk who translated them, and he did and is still doing a really good job. And I can't fault him for getting caught, getting involved with the publisher, except for the fact that it does make it hard for the, for the world to get them sometimes, especially those people who don't have the means to get them. So I'm not sure what they're doing to mitigate that, but he certainly is, a, I think, a good translator. He's done a very good good service to Buddhism. Bhikkhu Bodhi, Wisdom Publications. But you can find them online. A lot of the teachings are online. You can find a lot of the works of Mahasi Sayadaw online, and he's definitely worth reading. Someone asking if they should buy a cat. I'm not going to fall for that one. I think it's a trap. <laughs> I was just about to post today an article because of all the flack I get for my views on cats talking about once again how a study has been done showing how how what murderous beasts they are not all um, of them well no not all of them but by and large cats are um it's part of being a cat to kill things no not all cats just like not all humans are the same but it would be very good comma for the cat to come in contact with a meditator yeah, except I've talked about this before. How much? Bunte, 
two people, two students here with cats or your digital well, here. That's not my problem. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I, as a cat owner, I will tell you there's all sorts of trouble. My cat loves to slice at my ankles during walking meditation, loves mm -hmm. to try and sit in my lap during mm -hmm. sitting meditation. I'm going to wait until they get old. My mom's cat has allergies and they're never going to go away and they have to give it medication and take it to the vet. Their last cat, he ran over, my stepfather ran over the cat. I was there when he ran over the cat with the car and he was just devastated. I watched the cat die. We watched that cat die. I just happened to be at their house. So the purchase of a cat by this person, uh, you're purchasing sadness as well, friend. Yeah, and I've had meditators tell me they can't come and do a course because they have a, a cat, that, uh, an animal they have to take care of. To me, it's inefficient use of your compassion. If you say, oh, it's good for the cat. Well, adopt a kid. That'd be much better. You people who have cats, you should adopt a human being. You know, much better results. Is that a bad idea? I don't know. I think you've had better ones. Well, it would be better than adopting a cat, I think. I have a thought and bad feeling that arises every time I am mindful. Mix of doubt about practicing correctly. Judgment for only just becoming mindful now. Fear that this thought will never stop arising. All of that is part of the practice. That's part of the reason why we practice. You want to see those things. They're not coming from the practice. I mean, they are, but they're coming because the practice involves observation. Don't think of them as a product of the practice. They're a product of your own mind. Absolutely, there's no question. We want to apply the meditation to those. That's the only way you're going to deal with who you are. Come to terms with it, sort it all out, because all of it's you. It's not meditation caused. There's someone posting multiple one question and I'm going to skip it. Be more concise, please. Would you say are the benefits of doing uh, the at home course in comparison with just practicing at home and watching videos like yours? So, if you're interested in our tradition, the booklet that we have on the website, you can download it. There's a link in the description if I didn't make that clear. Sorry, that, that booklet and all the videos I do almost entirely focus only on the introductory practice. So what the at-home at course aims to do is give you more advanced practices. And they're not advanced in some you know, elitist or esoteric sort of way. It just means more. It just means next steps. 
the exercise is not the same. We give you different exercises that, that, ex that expand upon the basic exercise. And also the advice, just getting the advice that's tweaked to you is much different than reading some impersonal guide or even reading, uh, watching videos, you know, no matter how many you watch. Even reading the suttas, the suttas were personalized for that group of meditators. And so reading the suttas is not always your best way. If best would be if the Buddha was actually talking to you. Because we don't have the Buddha, all you've got is people like me. And so hopefully that's of benefit that I'm able to guide you in some way. So I think absolutely there's much benefit that comes from the at-home course that you won't get. Now, now, even doing what we have as an at-home course is not on level of doing on level with doing a intensive course, which would be even much, much better than that. But we don't have those available at the moment. Having oh, those so guys. many questions. Oh. Sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to add that having a teacher and uh, a guide, it's very, very important when you don't know where you are and where you want mm -hmm. to end up. Okay, I'm going to stop with the posting questions there and I'm going to try and do something by just scrolling through the questions and answering in a few words some of them because some of them you know we've gotten far far behind which is great it's great there's so many questions i'm sorry that i can't keep up but it just means you'll have to come back later it just means we'll be able to do another session with more questions if you can show up so next saturday we'll absolutely keep this time because it seems like a good time and uh well not absolutely future is uncertain but we'll try now i'm going to go through these quickly so, so a video about metta wants me to do a new one. I'll consider it. Again, I, metta isn't our main practice, so it's not as um, urgent for me that I do it. How to deal with bodily insecurities. Read our booklet. Suttas. Don't wait for the booklet. Download it from our website. Don't shout. All capitals is shouting, isn't it? I don't mind. Shout if you want. How do we take refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha? You just do. You don't need anyone or another Buddhist to do it. You can do it all by yourself. You make a determination in your mind. That's great. Are we still sending out booklets, Aurora? That's great if we are. But we don't have, you know, if, if it's not a convenient, you absolutely don't have to wait for it. Just uh, download it from our website. mind always outsmarts me advanced meditation practices they're not advanced like that it's just well i don't want to talk about them but uh because people start doing them without any guidance and that's not a big deal but i'd rather it not happen that way then when you meet up you're already doing them and i i have to take you back down to the beginning just to make sure you're doing them all right and so on so i'd rather not talk about them it's not that i'm trying to be s s mysterious or anything it's just best if we lead you through the course sitting touching yeah well it's not what you feel more comfortable with 
If you don't feel comfortable with something, you should note that feeling of discomfort. What does Buddhism say about bisexuality? Well, sexuality in general is all about attachment, so it's not looking favorably on any of it, but, but that's not a problem. I mean, most I mean, Buddhists who are not monks, they have sex and so on. But there's no difference between bisexuality, homosexuality, heterosexuality. It's all sexuality. Killing is wrong. Thoughts don't arise all from the brain, I don't think. Sorry, I don't know if this is useful to anyone. You can all scroll with me and see what I'm looking at. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of them read the booklet regarding celibacy. It's a benefit. Yes, absolutely. Nibbana, not going to go into that. Not in the time. Can you follow the heartbeat? Yeah, you just say feeling, feeling. But don't take it as your main object. Stomach is much better. Do not have the right time to practice. Oh, hi, Katya. How are you? I don't. Uh, don't think that's your name now. Well, keep meditating. Find find time. If you're not finding time to meditate, maybe you should consider your life. So, Discord link is probably not in the description, but we'll probably start putting it there. After this video, I'll put it there. So you can come back to this video after it's up on YouTube and you should see it in the description and we'll try to keep it in the description from here on, right? We can do that, no? We'll see we what comes of it. Right. Make it too open and we might have, we might dis, we might uh, regret. So how else do people find the Discord link? Where can they find it? They might find it on suramangala.org. They can might. find it in um, Facebook, on Facebook with mm -hmm. um, a study group mm -hmm. with Uchadamo Maybe we shouldn't rely on Facebook as a source of information. Oh. Let's. Can we make sure they find it on our website? If it's not there, I'll add it. Okay, so it'll be on our website rather than putting it in the description because YouTube is a bit too much. Maybe. How do I get a good teacher? Well, I can't say about a good teacher, but if you want me to help you, I, I can act as a guide to some extent, and you're welcome to get in touch uh, through our website. How are craving and clinging different? Clinging is like strong craving. That's how it's understood. Which doesn't really probably answer your question very well, but that's the answer. They're basically the same. Is Sutta Central a reliable source? I have heard good things. I'm not. I'm a bit skeptical to some extent, but I wouldn't regard that too strongly. I'd go ahead. It's probably good.
you aren't willing to take on students you know nothing about, why am I, I am willing to take on students I know nothing about. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to adopt children. So that was quite tongue-in-cheek. I apologize for suggesting that people adopt children. I didn't think it through, but I think it's better. That, my point was, rather than adopting a cat, because you'll get much, you know, it'll be much, much more of an undertaking, but at least you'll have some hope that the child will grow up to do great things and that your effort put in will be efficient in the sense that some good comes from it. To think that adopting a cat is somehow going to help the world in some way, I'm skeptical. And I know cat owners are really not happy with that idea, with that view. Hmm. I think we'll just have to agree to disagree. But my thing about, yeah, I've said before, and I believe that adopting or having kids is not a not not my idea of a good idea because I wouldn't take students what was it I wouldn't take students that I have know nothing about it's not that I know nothing about it's that I have no sense no no that's not the point the point is I wouldn't take on students who I had no sense as to whether they wanted to learn from me you see that's the problem with children not that you know nothing about them I, I'll take on anyone. I don't have to know anything about them except that they want to learn from me, right? Because you don't know that about children. So you say, I'm going to take on this student and I have no idea whether they want to listen to what I say or whether they're going to be amenable, what they're going to be like. Now we think to some extent kids are malleable and I think, yes, I'll agree with that. It's only to some extent. You really don't know what you're getting in a kid. Well, you kind of do that. They're not really going to be all that amenable to learning from you, not unless you're really lucky. It's just harder. What I mean is they're not coming to you because they want to learn, right? It's not like people are reborn thinking, oh, I want that person as my mother or father because I'm going to learn from them. It's often much more karmically related. Cats are better than most human. I strongly, strongly disagree, but I think we'll just have to agree to disagree. And I'm going to end the stream there. So thank you, and thank you for my helpers. I think it works well. I think it's good. I appreciate uh, having some company. And I appreciate all of you for asking questions and being patient and thoughtful and interested in meditation and the Buddhist teaching. So I wish you all, all of us, peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Thank you. Have a good day.